So, Rage, what's next? Oh, one of those good old classic Jules Verne stories. This one, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Oh, cool. I've always wanted to see the one with Brandon Fraser. He doesn't get much work these days. No, he, he doesn't, but uh, no, not that version. Ah, you, you, you mean the 2008 one? It was directed EVD. Ooh, ooh. Uh, yeah, this directed EVD does uh, usually suck, but no, no, older than that. Not the crappy one from 1989. The only good thing about that was Kathy Ireland. Wait a minute, there was a version with Kathy Ireland? Um, man, you guys... No, not that one. Uh, not the foreign one from Spain from 1978. I couldn't understand half the subtitles. Wait, but... No, older, and... And you guys watched... Ah, you mean the cartoon show from 1967. Is it the one from 77? No, it wasn't like a TV or cartoon show. Good, because the Hallmark one sucked. There's a Hallmark one? Man, there's a lot of versions of this. Hey, (laughs) that's kind of cool, though. We'll be able to compare them all to the one in 1959. Uh, there's one in 59? Yeah, you know, starring James Mason, the guy who played Captain Nemo in the 54 version of 20,000 Leagues we watched. Wish you would have told us. That's the only one we didn't watch. Well, come on. That's the best one. In- Wait. You didn't watch that one. I can't believe you watched all the other ones and not this. I told you this one in the text. <laughs> no, you didn't. Yeah, I got it right here. Guys, this week is 1959 Journey to the Center of the Earth starring James Mason and Pat. Oh, guess we didn't see that. When did you send it? Sorry. Uh. Sci-Fi Malady, Symptom 250, Journey to the Center of the Earth, starring Captain Nemo. But wait, act now and we'll throw in seven other versions of this terrible film adaptation that you don't want to watch. That's a... $2.99 value for the cost of $3.99 on Amazon to rent it. Well, Sickies, uh, welcome back to Jules Verne July. And by the way, the deal Scott just offered, don't take it, you'll get ripped off. All the other versions mentioned are that bad. And just for the record, Scott and Thomas did not watch all those versions. I could not subject that one, subject them to that especially the Hallmark version, because, wow, if it's anything like the the Mysterious Island. <laughs> so, oh, don't worry. You've subjected us to enough. Let me just... There was Ugh. a version of Mysterious Island that starred The Rock. Why didn't we watch that one? Because I didn't know about it. It was called Journey 2, and uh, honestly, I probably wouldn't have recommended it anyway, but... At least it would have had the rock. It would have been better and shorter than the other one. And that's where I was about to say. In hindsight, had I known it was between that and the one we watched, I would have said, yeah, let's do the one with Dwayne Johnson. That's that's mercifully shorter. The rock would have raised his eyebrow at a lizard monster, threatened to slap the taste out of its candy, and then gave it a rock bottom and walked away saying something about a jabroni and eating pie. 
<laughs> and we all would have rode off to the sunset happy. And at least it would have had that in it. <laughs> but nope. Anyway, um, so sick as you might have noticed, the past two weeks we had nothing. Uh, there were various reasons for that, and we'll just put it that way. Uh, but we're back on track with Jules Verne July. There's various back reasons to- for that. It's called Ruck was on vacation, and uh, I've deteriorated the ability to handle assignments to the point that I couldn't finish the editing. So, And Rage was on a mission trip. The point is, there was a lot going on. So, But we're back on track with Jules Verne July, giving our best attention to one of the giants of science fiction history, Jules Verne. Um, before we jump into that, though, I just want to make a note here. Wow, we're on episode or symptom 250. I still, I, I mean, I know it's not as big a deal as like 200 was or 100, but 250. I don't think I ever pictured us getting this far. Scott, now, now Thomas, I'm sure he would agree with this, but Tom, Scott and I have been in there, I think, from the get-go. And Scott, did you imagine we would get this far? Or No, I figured it might be something we do for a year, six months, 18 months, until we got bored and went back to uh, playing Palladium role-playing games and Ninja Turtle role-playing games or, you know, Turtles and um, Star Wars West End D6. I figured we'd get... We'd get bored of this eventually and go back to doing that. Um, Five but here years we are. later. Yeah, I mean, this is this is pretty pretty neat actually. Um, that here we are still doing this, and it has blossomed and branched out, and we've added people to the Ravenlucic network. It's it's become kind of its own little network, if you will. And uh, it's it's kind of what Scott was envisioning, sort of, with other shows and things like that. And it's it's continuing to develop in that direction. We've still got some ways to go, but it's moving in that direction that I don't think any of us thought was we wanted to happen. But we thought, nah. Sci-fi melody, a hundred years, a hundred years of sci-fi melody, sci-fi melody, a hundred years, the next hundred years, set you once off. You know what? I've said it. Let's not let's not torture the view uh, listeners for a hundred years. Ninety nine will be long enough. That's enough. I have visions of of Mark and I and Thomas. We're still doing this show like thirty years later, forty years later. Nursing home, right? And people can say, "Listen, they really have turned into bitter old men who just argue with each other all day." I heard Scott's teeth fall out in the last episode. No, it's actually no, they are actually old guys. Well, Scott also threw his teeth at Mark, but hey. <laughs> Sorry, Sickies. No, we had to cut symptom ten thousand one hundred and forty-two short. Scott removed his teeth, threw them at the rage master, and they got stuck in his forehead and we couldn't finish the show. <laughs> and and Rage is too busy choking Scott with his catheter. <laughs> And poor Thomas over here, still trying to play um, peacemaker. Monkey in the middle, but just, just well, I, I, I can't. I just can't do it when I'm sitting in this wheelchair. I can't move between you two. Yep. This week's episode, we won't have Scott. He had a pre-episode depends sharding incident, and he will not be back in time. Yep. <laughs> oh, sickies! Guess what you have look, to look forward it's to. What you have to look forward to. 
Science so, fiction these days, they can't write. You remember that J.J. Abrams? He was a <laughs> yeah. sucked with mystery I'll boxes. Be, I'll still be, I'll still still be write whining a book. about J.J. Abrams. <laughs> I'll, I'll be whining about J.J. Abrams. Watch, he'll be like dead, and I'll be like, J.J. Hey, Abrams, right, he died 10 years ago. <laughs> I don't care. Weren't we supposed to get that next book from what's-his-name? I never finished the... He never finished his books. I wanted to know it, how it ended instead of the TV show, Game of Boobs, wasn't it? No, we're never getting. <laughs> you know, I I'll forgive JJ eventually for what he did to Star Trek in Episode Seven, but I will never forgive him for Star Wars Episode Twenty Four. <laughs> the search for more money. Anyhow, let's get on the journey to the center of the Earth, nineteen fifty nine, starring James Mason, Pat. Boone, yes. Uh, for those of you that are old enough, yes, I do mean the Pat Boone that was a singer. Um, that guy. And also um, Arlene, I don't know how to say her last name. But the film itself, I, I guess I'll start off with some of the fun facts. They're fun. Sort of. But funny thing, so James Mason and uh, Arlene Dahl's character Carla and um, oh shoot, what was his name in the movie? Scott, you're good at this, right? Um, uh, McCoon. Oh, um, hang on, I'm gonna get their name. Uh, Sir Oliver, Oliver, Sir Oliver. Yeah. So Carla and Oliver, their on-screen chemistry was pretty testy, and uh, they got on each other's nerves. And it turns out, in reality, they did the same. So was it acting? I don't know. But they really got on each other's nerves on set. Um, this film, know? it's a fun fact. This uh, film got greenlit primarily because the Disney version of 20,000 Leagues and Around the World in 80 Days from 1956 were major investments, were major successes. So Fox saw the benefit, the dollar sign. In fact, Pat Boone, who said he didn't want to do the role, Wound up saying years later, he's glad he did it because of the regular residual checks. So, well, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna knock him for that. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure we'd all be happy to be getting residual oh, checks. For sure, for sure. Sir Alec Guinness thought uh, Star Wars was just something to keep him working and pay the bills over the summer. Yep, true. And I'm true. glad he did it later on. Uh, the the Metrodons, the uh, dinosaurs in the film, were actually played by rhino iguanas. And uh, the funny part is the rhino iguanas were, uh, they, the fins on the back were glued on. The stuff they used to be the animals. I'm sure the animals really liked it. I'm sure they did. Although I do have to admit, it's nothing as bad as the giant cat from Master the first film where they painted it black. The cat licked the paint off and died from poisoning. <laughs> yeah, True, did, this one did die from poisoning. The, the, yeah, the uh, iguana that they turned red with some kind of dye that didn't die either, right? <laughs> no, that one. I don't know. Maybe it was red to begin with. I didn't see anything about that. Um, I didn't see anything about that. But what I do think is funny is. Uh, 
concerning the cat was just, can you imagine that? Hey, the cat's licking the paint off. What do we do? Yeah, just put more on there. <laughs> this can't be good for the cat, can it? Just do your job, stagehand. Okay. okay. No one cares about the cat. <laughs> <laughs> just shut up and do your job. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Just, uh, we'll just put more on the cat and hope it's okay. <laughs> we borrowed it uh, from the zoo. We'll get it back to the zoo by the end of the day. And if it dies there, we'll blame it on the zoo. <laughs> as long as it's breathing, we're okay. Just wash it off first. Uh, okay. You, anyway, Homer monkey pray for Mojo. Homer killed uh, in the Simpsons. He killed the Helper monkey. Oh. Oh yeah. Pray for Mojo. <laughs> um. So, uh, the reason in the French novel, the professor's name was Otto Lindenbach, a German, and his lab assistant was named Axel. Because, you know, Guns N' Roses fan. But uh, so this, however, it was changed to a Scotsman. According to the director, this was changed because in historical hindsight, 19th century Scots were more interested in field geology while the Germans preferred lab bound. Um, good cover up, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, it can't have anything to do with a certain event that happened in the previous decade. Nope. Uh, could, yeah, I'm, I'm more inclined to believe something like that. that yeah. Also, I'm sorry, but it's like, ah, yes, we have the Scots. So now we are going to, to just have bagpipes and really ham it up. Yeah, that's more interesting. Anyway. Uh, the duck, Gertrude, won a Patsy Award. I don't know what's a Patsy Award. I have no I'm idea. Assuming, I'm assuming it's an animal award of some kind. I guess so. And so it was a Patsy Award, and there were like three or four of them. And the number two Gertrude duck, and Arlene Dahl, who played Carla, really, uh, she was friends. They were, they became good friends. Um, okay. Yep, there it is. The and, Patsy and, uh, Award. The, the Patsy Award was originated by the Hollywood Office of the American Humane Association in 1939. They decided to honor animal performers after a horse was killed in an onset onset accident during the filming of the Tyrone Power film Jesse James. Okay. All right. Learn something new every day. Yep. Uh, Filmation. The guys who brought you He-Man and Brave Star. They um, they were they made a Saturday morning cartoon called Journey to the Center of the Earth in '67. We mentioned that in the opener. I almost asked you in the open the- if Filmation did that cartoon. I'm sorry, I'm I'm being steppy, but I almost asked you in the opening. I bet Filmation did it. <laughs> yeah, they did, and they uh, they uh, did that, and they based it more on this movie than the book. Final oh. fun fact: the miniature model of the Lost Atlantis was used. That was used on an earthquake scene. We used in other films. And the lava, they believe, that spilled on the lizard, probably oatmeal. Because it looks exactly like the lava they used in Time Machine, the 1960 Time Machine. Sarah thought it looked like Sloppy Joe's. And I kind of agreed with her. I'm like, oh my God, it's the attack of an overturned pot of Sloppy Joe. (laughs) Well, you know, you can't, you know, kill an animal, I guess, with it. But. Anyway, real quick, I'll do a real quick plot comparison 
and then we'll jump on it with our rips and picks. This was actually a good movie. I liked it, but the book's story is, is similar. I mean, like I said, in the book, the professor is actually a German guy named Otto Lindenbrock, and he's just leafing through some original uh, Icelandic sagas, and he comes across a runic script writing about the crater that goes to the center of the earth. The same thing mentioned in the movie, except here he just finds it in a manuscript, not because his student happens to buy him a rock that has a plumb bob with the notes in it. Um, so he goes to uh, Iceland immediately, and he takes Axel with him, and they hire a local Icelander, Hans. Hans was hired. They didn't just run into him and use him. And then they, uh, after some time, they reach the volcano, and they get out of the center of the earth. They go down to the bowels of the earth, just like in the movie. Uh, they take a wrong turn. They run short of water, and Axel nearly dies. But then they say they're saved by a, a, a subterranean river. Uh, then they follow the course of the river, and they go many miles below the earth. They, they build a raft out of some semi-petrified wood find a uh, sea like they do in the movie, find some dinosaurs that and uh, other prehistoric creatures. Somehow a lightning storm happens down there, just the same as the matinee undersea kingdom. Just go with it. <laughs> Don't ask questions. <laughs> go with it. And they find a fossil graveyard of pterodactyls and mastodons and old body of a preserved man and all that stuff. They want, find a forest with primitive vegetation. And they find a prehistoric humanoid more than 12 feet in the height watching over a herd of mastodons. So they get, a, they get afraid and they run away from the forest. It sounds like a neat idea, though. They eventually find the passageway marked by the original uh, guy who wrote the Icelandic saga, Sanctusam. I guess that's how you say it. But it's blocked by recent cave-ins, so they uh, blow the rock open with uh, gunpowder, just like in the movie. And they paddle their raft out to sea to avoid the blast, but then they find themselves in some kind of deep pit and are swept into the sea, which then sends them into some gap that eventually just shoots them out of another volcano. And they wind up in Italy, just like the end of the film. The film isn't too far off from that. In the film, you have Sir Oliver Lindenbrock, whose student gives him a rock as a present, an odd volcanic rock, with the Icelandic script on it. Why they went that name, I don't know. But it's the same guy who wrote it as the original, and they decide to go into the... Um, they decide they want to go to the this volcano in Iceland, but there they find out that uh, a guy named Göteborg, I guess that's how you say his name, was also trying to steal uh, Sir Oliver's work, and he was trying to go do an ex mountain expedition. But someone killed him, and uh, they got his equipment, and the Sir Gutenberg's late wife, Carla, said, well, I'll let you have his equipment and go into the earth if you go let me go with. There's some fighting. They go down there. They, they begin to go into the earth. They find out that someone else, who's the descendant of the original guy, who wrote the inscription about the center of the earth. He's there. Uh, he tries to stop him from getting in. He, they get trapped in a barn, and uh, they get freed by Hans. That's how they meet Hans. They don't hire him. They just 
he'd freeze them and then they can't speak Icelandic and Carla can't. So that's why they have to bring her. And uh, the student that was with Sir Oliver, uh, who was played by Pat Boone, Alec, he's, uh, he gets lost. He nearly gets killed by the bad guy. Um, they wind up finding their way to the undersea ocean. They're attacked by dinosaurs. They get to the center of the earth, which is a whirlpool, north and south poles, polarity, blah, blah, blah. I'm really rushing through this because I want to get to the rips and picks, but eventually they do wind up to the other side where uh, the the bad guy, Gutenberg, kills the duck, Gertrude, which is Han's best friend. Han gets ticked, pushed him into a rock, and Gutenberg dies, but then they find Atlantis. They also, there's a scene where they find a mushroom forest and they survive on that. So in Atlantis, they find out that the way out is if they get inside this uh, sacri- uh, this big bowl of sacrificing for the gods and a volcano can shoot them out. But they have to use a piece of dynamite to blow a rock out of the way. That brings a monster out because monsters are cool. The volcano blows up, shoots them out in Italy, and they wind up back in Scotland. Alec marries uh, his professor's daughter, niece, Carla and Alec, uh, Sir Aaron or whatever, Sir Oliver have a moment where they might get married to the unhappy. I'm bad at plot analysis, so. Fun fact. The point is. In a recent YouGov poll, 37% of Americans think this is an accurate depiction of what the center of the earth is. <laughs> you know, Scott, um, I want to say that's not true, but there's a part of me that's like, you know, that may be true. Some people probably will see this and say, yep, that's what it's like. The hollow earth theory. Yeah, the hollow earth theory and mole people are still big conspiracies. Well, you know, what's funny is I think it was a guy named Ignatius Donnelly. Yeah, that's his name. He was a 19th century American politician who really, uh, I mean, he wasn't the only one, but he was one of the biggest proponents of Atlantis and Hollow Earth and all that. And that caught on and others went along with it as well. And what's funny is how old pseudo-archaeology and mysticism can still keep, you know? How someone could look at a Jules... Now, see, Jules Verne, I don't know if Jules Verne believed this, by the way. I don't know enough about him. But let's just give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't and he was just trying to have fun with this science fiction story. That's fine. But, I mean... Dinosaurs in the middle of the Earth? It's one of the reasons I hated the new King Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Nothing J.J. Abrams has done has insulted science as much as what I've seen in Jules Verne July. Oh, it is. What? It's bad. So you didn't like this movie? Without getting ratings yet. Nah, I I was... No, I, I hit pause halfway through and I went, oh my God, there's an hour left. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. I like this movie. I liked it a lot. I mean, because I think the reason I get more latitude is these, this was written by a 19th century science fiction author who was 
really being um, between ignorance and the fact that he was um, going by Ignatius Donnelly type guys, it made sense for him. But now if someone had written this today in all earnestness, I would be the same way. Like, uh, this sucks. Like, what was it? Um, the core, the core had this with dinosaurs in it. And that was dumb. I'd agree with you because a modern person knows better. I can give Jules Verne a pass on this because it really was a, a different time and it, you're more like a futurist and you're thinking creatively and there's a, there's a thread, you know, to it. Um, maybe something that, that has justifies the science part of your fiction and fantasy. Um, and I would need to read the original to make a judgment on Jules Verne. But in 1959, we should have known better than to expect this as a possibility of, anything remotely realistic. I think we did know this by 1959. We were on our way, not quite, but we were on our way into space and we were a decade away from being on the moon. I think we knew that it wasn't reasonable for there to be dinosaurs still in the center of the earth. Wait a minute, Scott. You mean to tell me you think the people that made this movie believed it? I'm I'm just saying that in 1959, this movie should have got more flack than anything that has come out by J.J. Abrams I, or Michael Bay from a science. Uh, Armageddon doesn't destroy science as much as this movie does. I I'm you're right, but I don't. But nobody was taking it that seriously. Because remember what I said as a fun fact: the reason this got made was because Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, which was much more prophetic than anything else. Uh, that was a hit, and so was Around the World. So they saw dollar signs, and I guess you could call it the Vern universe. Yeah, I guess maybe it just doesn't hold up. Maybe it just doesn't hold up, because nothing that that I've seen in these first two movies would make me want to go see the third movie. Yeah, wait a minute. I forget all of a sudden. How did you rate 20,000 Leagues? I, I don't think I rated any of these more than a five or a six, four, five, okay. six. I well, have to go back and look. But... For you. Five is average for you. Yeah. So, but I think in this case, there was, for one, there was a, a big, big degree of fantasy, but also a good act. Plus, there wasn't a lot of entertainment options back then. So, but... I'm not going to go ahead and say that everybody was so ignorant. I remember watching an episode of Dennis the Menace where, uh, and this was from the 50s, where Dennis was watching a show about a guy like Captain Spaceman or whatever, and he was talking about finding gorillas on Mars, and Mr. Wilson, the neighbor, was scoffing and telling everybody, that's ridiculous, there's no such thing on Mars, Mars is this, or Jupiter's a gaseous planet, you know. And so people knew better. They weren't going along. This was merely just for the ha ha ha. And that's it. So. No, no, I agree with you. I guess I'm just saying that we don't seem to apply that standard as much to today's science fiction. We expect more accuracy and correctness in today's science fiction than we expect looking through a lens historically at the stuff that came before us. Um. And I don't I know if that's, that's fair. True. 
I, I mean, I we, we look at these true. old movies like Godzilla and the kaiju films and, and everything that we've seen, the adaptation to Jules Verne, and we're writing a pass for it because they wrote entertainment and it was there for a, a fantastical escape from reality. And we were okay with the fact if they didn't have it right. And in today's day and I, age, we're not okay with that. We expect more I hard guess, science. I guess that's because, well, I wouldn't say we always do. That's simply not true because um, we do maybe have certain things like Star Trek. I don't know. But I would say that, one, information is more plentiful. That's one reason. It's easier accessed. Um, we know more, of course. And two, again, I think everybody, it's because kind of everybody knew this was just watch. You went into it knowing that. And um, whereas if you go back, and, and plus it was inspirational. Whereas if you look at something like, uh, well, JJ, if he's not ripping off, he's not. And also look at it from a story perspective, just from a narrative. There's nothing in this narrative that doesn't make sense. Like, why did this happen? Or, you know, when they found the gunpowder on the old guy who died in the in the in Atlantis, it's like, well, I mean, okay, there it is. I mean, yeah, yeah I, it also. Not, whereas, whereas J.J. Abrams would just have a bag of gunpowder sitting in the middle of nowhere for no apparent God knows reason because it was convenient for his story because he doesn't know what he's doing. And I also think, as as Doc Buckley says, um, the the rise of the creator economy has made it so that every single person in the world can be a critic. I mean, look at what we're doing. Yeah. And everyone's right. a critic That's and true. there's more exposure and people got to come up with angles. And there's going to be, it's a lot more funny to rip a film to pieces and you'll get a lot more people. Comedy sells a lot better than um, astute analysis of a film. Yeah. Well, and and my analysis is from a narrative perspective, this makes enough sense. There's a very solitude. There's enough that makes sense for the story itself. But like I said, the problem you have with a lot of modern writers is just the, Oh man, there's a rock in the way. How do we get rid of it? Oh, I just tripped over a bag of gunpowder. That, that's it. That's all you got. Like you can't even bother to have it found on a previous explore. Nope, that's too hard. Um, or everybody's good at everything, and uh, it just doesn't. And then they have to stop and have an emotional feel moment. Uh, that was one of the things that, without going rabbit trail, please don't. Uh, if I don't want a rabbit trail, I won't bring it up. But uh, I think that's why, for me, that narratively it makes enough sense and it's short. It's not like um, it's not like episode nine, where it's just random crap thrown at you and you're supposed to agree with it. You just shut up, don't think about it. You know. Well, I'm just going to say this. Uh-huh. I get what Scott's saying, but again, I think the part that I can excuse is because this is Jules, Jules Byrne. He's not a scientist. He's admitted he's not a scientist. 
He's just right. coming up with a story and running with it. Now, it, it's on a scientific level makes no sense and is atrocious. And I, in some ways, feel the filmmakers could have adjusted some of it to make it more reasonable and make more sense. But that's just my opinion. Well, I think to at least from Jules Verne's end, that when he made it too, there was still enough of the world yet unexplored that we still had this kind of hope. You know, in in Prague, Czech Republic, there's a manor, uh, Troya Troya Manor. It's a palace, and it's really nice. I'd recommend it if anybody goes there. But inside, there are these murals of, of the Americas. This manor chateau was built right about the age of european exploration things getting underway and in these uh tapestries and murals you see dinosaurs because this is what they imagined the americas having it was this new exotic world what's there oh and at this time there was imperialism and africa was called for europeans anyway it was called the dark continent because they had no idea What's in it? They hadn't really, Europeans hadn't really gone that far into Africa. So for them, what well known by the, by the, by the peoples of that continent wasn't by Europeans. So they just excited their imaginations with, and I mean, there's still areas of the world today where you have square miles of just dense jungle and nothing. Uh, yeah, that's shrinking. that's shrinking. But if you go back to the 19th century, heck, the silverback gorilla was thought to be a myth until we finally had people climb up into the mountains of Rwanda and go, "Oh, look, they're right there." Um, so I think that's also when it comes to dinosaurs and all. Is it ridiculous? Yeah, it's ridiculous. But we are looking at it with hindsight not to the European or even American mind that went on safari because what are we going to find? No one's ever penetrated this part of Africa. Probably not true, but, you know. So we kind of, for the book anyway, you have to go that route. And I think if they were trying to stick a little bit close to the book, you kind of have to do this. Okay. I, That's my defense, however strong or weak. Aren't we trying to justify the existence of dinosaurs inside the center of the Earth? Dinosaurs which would need a massive amount of either vegetation or meat to continue to just live in the yes, center of the, the Earth that has no sunlight? Yes. Maybe it does oh, have water, makes, but... Hey, I agree with you. It makes no sense. I completely agree with you. I'm it just should saying, have even made no sense in Jules Verne's day. Well, yeah, but you're following the historian's fallacy. See, this is the problem. There was, at least at Jules Verne's time, people who thought that there could be a store at the center of the Earth or that there was jewels that emulated light in the center. There were thoughts that there would be some kind of scientific explanation that the Earth could somehow be hollow, which would make no sense on mass. But again, mass and Einstein wasn't quite, you know, you know. So 
but still. It, yeah, I mean, that's what it is. What am I talking I about? There's still people today who believe in the hollow earth and lizard people and mole people and everything else. Right. But we I did a whole month on it. Come on. So, but I'm also getting to the fact of at a time you had people who could believe that easier because they really didn't know. They really had nothing to prove otherwise. You know, you can say logic, and that's a nice historian's fallacy, but... Um, Today, it's more laughable because it's like we've sent actual measurements into the earth, you know, whatever. So, uh, I think we've beaten that down to a pulp. I think we can just get into rips and picks. So, and as always, I want to, well, as always, for these films, I want to pick the acting. I mean, James Mason knocks it out of the park. Pat Boone is not bad. and. Uh, Arlene um, Dahl, she does a great job too. I mean, all of the actors do a splendid job. The dialogue is great. It's dignified. And it's fun to watch these people duke it out in the most dignified way possible. It's it's before you have all the swearing and the and, and Jerry Springer style fighting. And there's just something charming about it. What did you just uh, do to something. poor Chewbacca? Uh, I, I murdered him. Uh, <laughs> and then I also like the um, exchange between Carla, where she's saying that, you know, where he's like, well, well you're, you're going to have to eat where we eat and do all these things. Okay. Where he's just so flabbergasted that a woman would do this. And of course, this is from a Victorian era gentleman who couldn't conceive that a woman would be able to do something real so rough and tumble but she oh. put it in this place i mean yeah the one guy's dating his daughter and she shows her legs for a millisecond and hides them right that's the era they're in so but it's just uh really fun to watch uh the way carla him go back and forth and and that's the kind of thing that you know is a lot of fun because at the same time they, you, they find out they need each other. They both have a skill set that fills the other's detriment. And that is really, uh, that makes for a very good narrative choice. Neither of them are better than the other. One of them thinks that, but is put in his place, and he is the better for it. And so I think... Uh, you know, I think some of the, the comments they make are very typical of that time. And she shows them up, but not in a way that's like, see, all women are better than men. You know, it, it was none of that. And uh, it was more just come off your high horse because I have used to. OK. And it's uh, like the scene where he says, you know, your clothing is you're going to have to change into something more appropriate for this. And. Mod once modesty has been established, she's like, all right, yeah, fine. Makes sense. Did did anybody, I don't know, this is probably only me, but I could not stop seeing Dr. Sam Grant every time Oliver was on screen. I kept flashing back to Jurassic Park. Uh, nope, that's, I didn't see it anyway. Okay, I, I'm going to ask a question. 
Anyone else notice? Well, obviously you notice, but any thoughts on how oblivious this doctor is? How uh, oblivious to what? Everything. Everything? The trope of the absent-minded professor is really on display here. Oh, yeah. Well, that's true. Like the whole, uh, oh, do you hear that? There's footsteps. A woman hears footsteps all the time, and I know it because I have to go upstairs to look for rats. Yeah. He's he, a jerk, and he's, part of that is absence. He's introduced by walking through a walking marching through band. A parade. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Which also yeah. goes, everyone in this town apparently knows him very well. Well, a famous... A famous person is a famous person. He's, a famous, the he's the Neil deGrasse Tyson of Edinburgh, I guess. No no scientist is that well known by everyone. Well, he was getting knighted, so I guess that was a big deal. And it was mostly uh, amongst the people that are around the university, which definitely would know him. In that case. Okay, fair enough, but knighted for being a scientist, but then he goes out and becomes an explorer which apparently is one of the most dangerous jobs ever, where you just kill each other? Well, uh, I mean, I don't know why anybody's knighted by the time. Explorers? I don't know. Yeah, I okay, okay but knighted. The explorers were knighted, yes. But I'm saying, how many explorers do you know who just went out and shot one another all day? Because apparently in this one, they're just killing each other off and trying to kill each other off pretty quick. Oh, the rival scientist thing. Well, easy to get away with when ah. you're in the middle of Iceland in the 19th century, I guess. I caught an Indy Jones type of, uh, you know, concept going on here. Sure, sure. Yeah, quite a bit. Sure. Even running from a boulder. Yeah, yeah. So would, that, would you call that a rip or a pick? Mm. I would call it a rip because it looked okay. you know, it was just didn't look right. Some of this just I know is technology of the time, but it didn't look great. Okay. I I got my first rip. Gertrude. Sure. You know, I, I do oh, feel bad no. that Gertrude got killed and eaten because 30 seconds before he killed and, and, you know, had Gertrude as a meal, I was like, I hate you, Gertrude. You're the Jar Jar Binks of this movie. I don't want <laughs> you to survive. And then I'm like, oh, no, he's going to eat the duck. <laughs> but I you hate know, Gertrude. I know it's supposed to be comic relief. And, okay, the, the goose survives the whirlpool and somehow doesn't get thrown off of the uh, of the raft. I mean, Come on. And, and yeah, Hans and Gertrude, was... come on. <laughs> I, I agree. That didn't, like, kill it for me, but nor is it a bonus either. I, it was weird. It's like, why are we so focused on this duck? It wasn't in the original story. And the duck I is mean, always it, smarter than they are. It's the better explorer. <laughs> I know. It's like, was this done for the kiddies? Because I can't think of any other reason. I mean, when it when it was pecking on the door and they, on the, and they they thought it was Morse code. Okay, ha ha ha, very funny. But that's it. After that, it's like okay, the duck's gone. We don't need her anymore. Comic relief accomplished. Right. That should have been the end of it. That was a great scene. That scene had me laughing. The absent-minded professor is so convinced and he can't figure out what it really is. But that that scene was fantastic, and that should have been the end of Gertrude. 
Right. That should have been it. And then and it makes like, even well, less sense if you tossed Gertrude in for the kitties. What does this ending of having her plucked and killed and eaten do for the kids? <laughs> this was your comic there relief you character. This would be like if you would have really focused in on the torturing of R2-D2 on Jabba's sail barge. You just kind of know it's kind of happening to the droid for a second, but then watch him get like ripped piece by piece by one of Jabba's bots and, and yeah. watch him scream. I, I, and you just see like his dome cracked in half at the end and sad music playing while 3PO gets angry. Definitely a rip and not just because the duck's getting ripped apart. Yeah. Like, what is this? Okay. It's my comic relief. Let's, let's brutally murder it and eat it. It's yeah. for kids. Uh, kids, I, I hope you, you know like what? Gertrude. She was dinner. I'm- the only thing I could think of for that is the part where they're like, they're supposed to execute him, which, okay, that's a rip of mine in a minute. But Hans won't do it because his family has served that nobleman's family for centuries, blah, blah, blah. Oh, but we need to give him a reason to kill the bad guy. And, uh, oh, kills the duck. All, so, huh, having these guys try to kill them, nope, sorry, can't do it. I've been serving their family for years. He ate your duck. He did what? <laughs> See, you need you need the the version that has the subtitles for Icelandic. Hans is screaming, "You ate my wife! That duck was my wife!" <laughs> I guess so, because hey, this isn't well, Welsh. Rip. This wasn't the Welsh on <laughs> their sheep, okay? Okay, so you know what? This is a that's a rip. The whole like Hans killing Gutenberg because it's like he did it over a duck but before when he was trying to kill you that wasn't enough him shooting a member of your party nope that wasn't enough but the duck <laughs> hey there's limits okay um but just the whole trial too where it's like he hans refuses to do it why that's in contempt of court what court you're not a judge <laughs> like like well also what, what are you talking about court you're the jury Really? The guys he tried to shoot? I don't think you're the non-biased. I'm just saying. I know. For all I know, it's like maybe he said no because he didn't say guilty. And you guys are none the wiser. So it's like, what a dumb scene. Just plug the guy. In fact, I having the bad guy to begin with, I get it. You know, we're going to have a bad guy, so there's some there's some challenge. But let's just go back to basic literature education. There's man versus man, man versus himself, and man versus nature. What? Dealing with nature wasn't good enough? We had to have a useless bad guy that popped in a couple times, derailed them for a short time, and then shot one of them just so they could have him get killed because he ate a duck. I mean, come on. You yeah, didn't well, need antagonist. That's terrible. You did not need an antagonist. The journey is the antagonist. Right. Yes. So, and it wasn't in the original novel. There was no antagonist other than nature, that that is. It also... giant dinosaurs and and a whirlpool aren't bad enough? Nope, it's gotta have this guy. This is also the 1950s, and you get, like, late 1950s, but you still had the idea of 1950s and 1960s man who had to have enough moral resolution to, as Ned Stark would say, he who cast the sentence should carry it out. You diminish your protagonist in this regard because that man should be killed. You kill him. No, I won't. Okay, you kill him. I can't shoot with my left hand. 
you kill him. Oh, I'm a woman. I can't kill him. And then he rants about the fact that now, now she hides behind the fact that she is a woman. The sexism in this is, I'm going to give it a, I'll give it a pass because it's meant to show it on display as how stupid and ignorant sexism is. But then it's like, oh, well, I can't carry it out. That's too dignified for a geology professor. I guess he lives. Right. What? Okay, so you don't have the well, moral fortitude also, to carry out your own sentence. It diminishes yes. you. Well, yes. Plus, you know what? The, I can't shoot left-handed. You're going to be a point-blank range. If you put a gun in my left hand and told me to shoot someone point-blank range, I'm a regular uh, American sniper, okay? It just, if I put the bull, if I put the bar- the barrel yeah. right up against their skull, it doesn't matter whether I'm shooting left or yeah. right-handed, as long as the trigger pulls. I am so Oliver. I'm willing to make tough decisions as long as I don't have to live with the moral stain of carrying them out and killing a man. But I can get other people to kill a man for me. Yeah, ah. that, that's a rip. That's You're a that, heroic. That whole trial scene was a, that, that whole trial scene was a rip, and the the, the the antagonist was a rip, and the duck killing scene was a rip. That 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 was completely unnecessary for the film. I, I don't. I don't know I what get to, why they wanted to put it there, but I, they didn't need to. I don't know what to call this next one, a rip or a pick, but I, it's more of like, Ooh. what is this scene? I'm chuckling at the fact that he's stuck up a tree naked with a bunch of nuns, and he doesn't want them to know that he's naked. Then he falls out of the tree. Um, and, and picks and, up a sheep. He picks up a sheep and puts it over his That's genitals and runs around. I'm like, what are you doing with that sheep, dude? <laughs> That's a sheep because it's just fur sheep. That's a that's a pick just because it's stupid funny. <laughs> I would uh, like to, at this point I, I to make. I a think there is a joke about the Scots and their sheep, but it's not as bad as the Welsh. I was about to make a joke about New Zealanders, but just in case there's any Kiwis listening, it's well, a, it was a good. It, don't worry, I've already offended the Welsh, so go for the Kiwis. They're small. Uh, just the uh, key, just the New Zealanders sheep. Naked, field. <laughs> yep. Stuff happens, I've been told. Mostly by Australians, but still, stuff happens. I guess Peter Jackson could clue us in, I don't know. Although he, he might be from Auckland, so he might not be aware. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> now that we've gone down the gutter rabbit hole. Now that we've talked about sheep shankers. Um, <laughs> Who took uh, us to the gutter this week? That uh, was me. Actually, it was it, it was Jules Papoon's fault. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's see. Any more rips and picks we want to do? Yeah. Um, you can't float on a river of magma. Um, you're going to die no. from just really? breathing it in. You're going to horrifically burn your lungs and die. Um, I don't care if that is Atlantean metal in a sacrificial bowl. Unless it had a force field to keep the heat of the magna from magma from from uh, you know just just um, burning your lungs to death, uh, you're, you're still dead. It's too hot to be that close yeah. to it. Um, it's it's not gonna matter. Um, you cannot ride but, the but explosive force of a volcano. Of yeah, I mean you can't ride the volcano and the magma up to the eruption no. like it's the power nope. tower in reverse at Cedar Point. Even if you could, 
once you were thrown from the top of the volcano, you're either going to land in magma and burn to death, or you're going to land on rock, or you're going to be thrown from the top of a couple thousand foot volcano and die upon hitting the water because it's going to be like concrete at that speed and velocity. Like, there's absolutely no way unless you sprouted wings or like the like the rocket that the Roadrunner uses from your butt, and that would even probably burn you to fly you to safety. So unless you've got an acne rocket up your behind or a, a emergency go-go gadget parachute to shoot out of your hat, you're dying. Like this is J.J. Abrams. Uh, this is that's almost stop the flow of halt the flow of time. Bad science. Yeah, kinda. I won't deny it. I mean, I, as much as I like the movie, no, I won't deny that. That's one where you're even as a kid when I saw this, I was going there. What? And I remember asking my dad, is that what it's like inside a volcano? And he chuckled, laughed at me and went, no, they'd be dead. Oh, the point where the water's filling in and they go down a blind alley and the stalactite breaks free just enough to give them a nice round hole to crawl out of. Yeah. The water's going to rise up through that hole. You just don't get through the hole in the ceiling and you're safe. The water's going to keep rising. Yeah, but also gotta love how powerful those jewels were that you crack like two of them off and, and that hole breaks. That's what causes all the water to come in. Yeah, just that one gem, man. You pick you pick the best one, Doc. Also, water goes to the lowest place, and uh Alec went through a hole below that room. <laughs> he should have been yeah. flooded out. Alec yes. was in a lot of trouble before they were. He was dead long before they were. No water ever came in after him. It's like a force field popped up that said, nope, water's not going here. Well, because, Scott, it's in the hollow earth. Gravity shifts occasionally. And salt stays up until someone steps on it, and then it turns into quicksand. Also, when you're leaving marks for people to follow you, why three lines? Why not something that couldn't be formed naturally by accident? Oh, three lines. Uh, couldn't that have been formed some uh, Three lines. Ah, man, a circle, an arrow. Oh, that was supposed to be a Nordic rune, but why would you could argue? Why would he use a Nordic rune? I guess. Use something because that, he's right. really into Norse mythology? Something people might not even recognize? How about just an arrow? You've got a chisel and a yeah, hammer. that's a pretty good one. Let's just keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> yeah because that because they uh yeah that's true three hashes there's no way these could have been made by natural rock formations you sure about that <laughs> no oh. that, there's no way i also want to send a a a plumb bob and a message so that people know where i am and they can yeah, continue my okay. work and it goes for nothing I, but i'm gonna I do can. it in the most obscure idiotic way possible i'm gonna encase it in a volcanic rock launch it and out of a volcano hope someone fishes it out of the ocean and then has the ability to recognize a, a slight thing of a nordic rune on top melt the lava away that gets so hot that it doesn't melt the plumb bob so that they can translate it from Nordic to find me. I want but you to find me, agree. but I'm going to make the, it as hard as possible to send my message. The plumb board yeah, is made out of that material that can survive the temperature of molten rock. I can't deny that one either. That was a rip of mine too, because it's, it's again, going back to the original book, 
it was in manuscripts. Yeah. Okay, that one I can I, I can follow that one, I guess. Do a safe but, deposit box at the local bank to be open upon my death or if I'm declared dead because I haven't returned exactly. in three years. Exactly. It's the same thing as the thing that I launched out into the ocean covered in volcanic rock. And hope to God someone finds it. It's like, yeah. It makes more sense than volcanic rock. Yeah. Hey, hey, Professor, I found this thing. It's super heavy. Here you go. I guess they really wanted a a geologist to do this, but it's like, you know, you could have just, I mean, I mean, I mean, he could have been a geologist, just there are ways of working it. A plumb bob encased in volcanic rock is not... Good thing he didn't use it the way that his students suggested he should, as a paperweight, who was a geologist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It'd be like if I had some important message to send to you guys before I went off on a journey somewhere, but I decided to get it to you by throwing it into Lake Erie and hoping it would work its way back to the Cuyahoga River and eventually the Rocky River, and you guys would find it one day walking through the Metro Parks, or somebody wouldn't get it to you. And make sure it's encased in some weird thing. Well, that would gotta, make me say, ooh, what's this? It needs to be translated somehow, too, like some secret code language. Yeah, oh, for sure. I'll have to have written it in Klingon. You would know that it was from me because it's written in Klingon and someone could translate it. God, because no one would ever try to use Klingon except Scott and the guy that wrote the Klingon dictionary. But that's not Scott. (laughs) Oh, it must be Scott. He he misspelled this Klingon word, see? Oh, yeah. We knew he always had trouble with that word. Scott never could spell Kapla. Yeah. He put too many peas in there. Yeah. Boy, I really went off on that rip. Yes, you did. You did, but it was a good one. So I think uh, we are getting to a point, unless someone's got some really big rip that they just, or pick that they want to mention, we can rate this thing. I I don't really. I nailed it. Scott, Scott, Scott mentioned my rips and I got my picks. Okay. You guys, you guys pretty much covered everything I had, so. Okay. I'm gold. All right. Oh, there is one more kind of rip and pick. Pick the red, the red uh, dinosaur at the end looked cool. Pick a uh, rip. So pick, it looked cool. Rip. Why is it there? I mean, <laughs> I get you wanted to add tension, but it was so insignificant and short that it just wasted time. Why it really is. It really makes me think that some studio producer walked in and went, hey, those dinosaurs look cool. I had another one. And the director was like, well, it really would make a difference narratively. But you're the guy who signs the check, so we have to do it. It's got like a long power-up sequence, too, because it only started changing color after um, Alec walked on its yeah. tail. And then it slowly started <laughs> changing color. It's a dinosaur. It's, it's warm-blooded. So you stepped on its tail, and that was like hitting the thermoactive button. <laughs> the lava was coming, and then the, yeah. It's a lava lizard. Like it, it senses lava. It just is one of those really like, no, you didn't need to do that. And speaking of lizards, I think we're going to rate this thing using iguanosauruses, I'm calling them. How many iguanosauruses do you want to give this? And Scott, I'm guessing yours is in the low. Well, this film is interminably long. Um, It has an overplayed comic relief trope with a duck that should have been there for one scene and and done. 
It overplays the absent-minded professor. Um, 1950s, early 60s sexism is on display in all its glory throughout much of the film. Uh, it comes replete with the damsel in distress scenes multiple times. The science is hideous. J.J. Abrams thinks the science was bad. Michael Bay thinks that using an explosion as the way out of the center of the earth might not be perfect. realistic. Um, no, he thinks it's perfect. Quite honestly, here's the thing. It's got all the science of Armageddon and Transformers and J.J. Abrams' Star Trek reboots without any of the charm of the character interaction, likability of the characters, or just even overall entertainment value. As I said, I hit pause an hour in thinking that maybe I had 15 minutes left and I went, oh my God, I have a whole nother hour of this thing to watch. And um, I'll give it a two, two Iguanasauruses. I just, Ooh. this if this was the first one we watched, I would have said, do I have to watch the other two movies? There are three. It was, uh, this one was rough. Uh, honestly. Yeah. I, I found just enough redeeming value to keep it away from being a one. Okay. Thomas. Um, <laughs> it's not going to be that bad. Wow. Um, it's not going to be super high either. A good chunk of this film, I was sitting there rolling my eyes at the stupidity and the tropes and just the stuff that I'm like, ah, the absent-minded professor. Oh, good grief. No, it didn't catch me. It didn't hold me. Now, I'm going to give it a, uh, a full. Okay. Uh, originally, I was going to give this thing a six or seven, but after dwelling on the rips and Scott pointing out some things about the science and how come I excuse that, I'm going to give it a, a, a four or five. It's still enjoyable as a fun thing, but I have to recognize the flaws. So, um, And that's it. Most of the good things are in the acting, acting department, the interactions, Okay. A lot of it is, so. Ah, but nonetheless, you sickies can go out there and watch this yourself and tell us how you like it. You could also view, if you don't like this and want to take Scott's opinion or just dodge it all together, you can go check out some of the other fine shows on Raven Lunatic Media. You can check out Zodiac Task Force, which is the last episode dropped about a week ago, week two weeks ago. Grace and Control, very good script written by our dear friend Ruck and editor. Uh, and we also have Caseatorium, <clears throat> which will have uh, Cold Case Chase, Case Closed, and Case of the Chills, which is hopefully one day going to talk about a haunted elevator. Uh, but you, you can also. You're never getting that. You know that now. I can hope. I can hope. <laughs> But anyway, uh, you can also check check out this show and tell uh, this movie and tell us how you feel about it at www.magiclavamountainrideexpress.ravinglunaticmedia.com, ravinglunaticmedia.com, ravinglunaticmedia.com. Rage Master, what's left for them to do? Stay sick, sickies. And watch out for the lizard people. They ate Carol Baskin. <laughs> 